All right, we're back. We lost Rudy for a second, but uh, Rudy, I was asking about uh, something I hear talked about a lot now is barrel depth and get your swing started early. And to me, it's exactly what you talked about with the, the collision swing is I'm going to guess that based on the analytics I've been provided that uh, this guy throws a slider 60% of the time down 3-1. So if he throws it, and I start my swing on time, I'm going to run into it and hit a homer. But if he doesn't, then I'll just swing and miss and worry about what happens after that. Well, you'll run into the fastball, but you're not going to run into the off speed. Because it's the, you know, if it's hanging out over the plate, you can do it. But something tight or down and away, you can't get to it because you're already committed. The idea of it is to get in a power position, to get in a launching position, to get in a hitting position, you, you have to – uh, what we call separate as hitters, meaning that your hands and foot have to go opposite directions. And what you're trying to do, you're, you're trying to find timing off, off, off of that. So hitting should be one, two, one's for timing, two's for swinging. So the better the timing, well, the easier it is to, to combat the analytics. You have to let the ball come to you to make good decisions. You just can't make up your mind to go get it because you know, it's coming. You don't know where it's going. Well, don't and you that's, think that's what a lot of guys are doing now? Yeah, oh, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Times a year, but yes, yes. And, 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 and it's and, like you know, we've talked about the scissor and so forth. Well, to me, that goes back to the lower half. They don't, they're not teaching the proper way shift. That's what you got to have. It's all about your lower half. It's all about timing with your lower half, and then everything follows. And and it's about your feet. Timing with your feet like anything else. You play basketball, timing with your feet. You bowl, you get the timing with your feet. So that's what you have to learn how to do in hitting. And then you have to learn the fundamentals of the swing to be able to stay back. You never hear that anymore. Stay back because they're all colliding. Mm -hmm. And when you stay back, then you got to let the ball come to you to make good decisions and you can hit you can use the whole field when you collide you can't use the whole field you only use half half of the field and uh i've had analytic people tell me hey you you can't use the whole field yes you can good hitters always used to go use the whole field because they stayed square to back the ball up and and, and to let it travel its way and it was in they hit it out front so they had they had the, the covered one thing that that uh I've really stressed over the years is is well, mechanics is one thing, but the most important thing is 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 yourself, knowing yourself, being confident, and then simplifying the swing. And what I've done over the years, I was a Simpson coach when I first started long, long time ago. And what I mean by that, I tell the hitter, "Hey, stay back, keep your head hands inside the ball, keep your head down, don't push." Well. You're not really fixing anything. All you're doing is you'd fix one thing, put a Band-Aid on one thing, and then something else would break down. So then I started when Tom House was with the Rangers like in 87, 89, and I heard him talking about the biomechanics of this, of the of pitching, and then they got into him and Ballantyne, and Robbie Robson was a really good hitting coach, I thought. They were uh, learning about the biomechanics of the swing. So I was happened to be in spring training, with them. So I started learning what that was because I, I wanted to learn how to teach a swing in a different way. So what I did, I studied all the good hitters and what they did. And 
uh, obviously all good hitters uh, do the biomechanics of the kinetic link. And the biomechanics, what that means is, is the uh, chain events that take place in the, in the kinetic link on the swing. So I started studying swing and I said, I verbalized what all good hitters do. I never change the hitter with a leg kick. I let them do their own thing. But the only thing that, that I ask that you do the fundamentals of the swing. And one, one is balance. You have to have balance. Balance gives you accuracy. It gives you leverage. Two, you got to have rhythm. Rhythm gives you timing and gives you starting time when to start to get in a hidden position off the pitcher. Three, you separate meaning every hitter goes from hands and foot option directions to stretch that rubber band to get in a good, powerful position. Four, you stay square. You stay closed. It's like a golf swing. You get your When you get to the power position, there's a little pause, a little hesitation, but you don't break the rhythm. But that's a trust factor that you've got to slow it down. And then fifth is weight shift. So that's the five fundamentals. You have to balance, rhythm, separate, square, and weight transfer. And the and the that's the true swing, and the analytic swing is they have balance, they have rhythm, they separate and go to weight shift. They don't stay square because they go attack it. So now you don't know if it's a strike or not. So those are the five fundamentals that that I've come up with. I call it the five simple steps of the absolutes of the swing. And if you look at hitters, that all good hitters do that. And Jeff, you did that. That's why you hit with average and you could use the whole field because you separate, stay square, let the ball come to you and, and you could stay inside of it and control where you're trying to hit the ball. So that's why I feel like I've simplified the swing and hitters can uh, relate to it and then they, they can fix it because hitting's a feel. You have to learn the feel of your swing to repeat it. And that's what good hitters do. Right. Well, I, I don't know. You probably don't spend much time on social media knowing you. No, but, uh, I, don't do that. I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that's out there. And you know, there's a guy who uh, teaches what's called the HLP swing, the high level pattern where the first thing he does is snap his wrist back and dump the barrel. And he says, that's what is that, that John guy. John? That's, that's, that, no, that's little Richie. That's teacher. Okay. Man. And they say, well, that, that's what every, all the great hitters, Aaron Judge, all these guys, snap the barrel back um, with their wrists, and then they create this torsion. Um, I don't think you're thinking that. You know what I mean? Hitters aren't thinking. They're just swinging. You know, that's and, what they do, Rudy. They look at videos, and they say, well, this is what he's doing right here, so let's do what he did. It's like Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that barrel going up early, you, really you can only hit low pitches. Down you can't hit end. the high – you can't you can't hit the high pitch, and today they're hit, they're they're pitching up. They're not really pitching down anymore like they used to. They used to pitch down side to side. Now it's up and down. Yeah, and yeah. late in the count, they're going with that you know ninety six, ninety eight hitter up. So if you're going to swing up that ball, you're going to miss it, or you're going to foul it up. You don't. I think the misconception is is when you go up, when the launch angle goes up, it it doesn't go up until you make contact out in front there's a little valley out there or like the what i explained the belly of the fish so when you make contact there's a little gap where you little valley there where you make contact and the bat goes up and you get the lift but the key to getting the ball in the air is staying inside with your hands mm -hmm. so if you don't stay square 
then you can't stay inside the ball because I can I can see in my mind what how you separate it because you had that little pause in there. So when you separate it, you stay you had the little pause to stay square. You could stay inside the ball and you could you could manipulate that ball to right center all you, all all day with a good with a good hitter. The ball in, it's easier for him to go the other way than it than away. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. That's and I didn't learn about staying inside the ball till I was in AAA. I'd never even heard it heard of it before i think i naturally did when i was in college i couldn't pull the ball left to second base unless it was off speed i think i think you learned a lot about hitting when you went to venezuela oh i did and rudy i the first year i went to venezuela was after tulsa um and you know that's when i started hitting with the leg kick you know right right good, good season in venezuela um but then the next I think it was the next year in AAA. It gave you confidence, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was all confidence. And yes. And I started staying inside the ball, and I hit 385 in Venezuela and won the batting title. Awesome. But I'm a punch and Judy, according to everybody on social media, Rudy. Well, no, you weren't. <laughs> I didn't think I was. I mean, how, no. about, how, many guys <laughs> my size, how many guys my size were power hitters? Exactly. Nobody. No. Or Morgan? No. No. Oh. You know, uh, another thing, uh, approach-wise, uh, where do you look for the ball? Uh, you know, old school, split the plate. To me, it doesn't really matter what approach you have. You just got to get in a hidden position, let the ball come to you. And and what I, over the years, I've gotten better and better teaching is the three-ball approach, hard of the zone. Work work everything off of that. If, if I'm looking for a fastball, it, right, be, me being say I'm left-handed hitter. So if I was looking in, I always look black in. If I looked away, I look black. Well, if I look, if you look black, you're gonna chase. If I, if I was looking black away, I was gonna chase the ball, another ball or two off the plate. And mm-hmm. if I thought black in, I do the same thing. So that's why I've, I've started teaching a three-ball approach. So if you're looking for a sinker in, well, you're looking for one of the three balls where you feel comfortable in the middle of the plate. You don't want to swing at it where it's going down. So that'll keep you in the middle of the plate, three balls, but really you can hit five balls because you can go one side or the other and stay, stay right center, left center, and stay in the big part of the field. So if I'm looking for a slider, I'm not going to look for a slider when it's breaking down. I'm looking for that little hump right in the middle of the plate. That's where I want it. Just like the curveball. Yeah. So, and then off, then the three ball approach, uh, teach the situational hitting. I'm a right hand. I'm a right-handed hitter. I got a man on first. Well, I'm looking those three balls where I can control where I'm hitting the ball. I'm trying to hit it over the right second baseman's head or the first baseman's holding him on. I got that hole. First and second, same thing. I'm trying to hit it over second base. Maybe I hit it to to the farther right. I get the job done. Second and third, I'm still the same approach. I'm looking ball out out over the plate. Three balls so I can hit it right center. Uh, second and third, I'm still same approach. I'm always want to hit behind the secondary runner. Bases loaded. I'm still thinking right center. I might hit it to left center. Just because you think the right center doesn't mean you're not going to pull the ball. Because what it's doing for you, letting the ball see it longer, let it get to you, and I'm square and I can stay inside. I can pull it. So, so I'm just simplifying everything for hitters. Mm-hmm. Stay in the stay. Three ball approach, and then you work your situations from there. Uh, 
or or being a good count hitter is so crucial. Counts, you know, you, know, you got to teach counts. Uh, the four worst counts is with two strikes. And like one of them is 140, 150, 160. So if I'm 1-1 one, one, and I go to 1-2, well, I'm a 140 hitter. If I go to 2-1, I'm a 340 hitter. So it's so important counts. It, you want counts in your favor uh, because the majority of the time you're going to fail with two strikes. That's just the way it is. And and that's, to me, one of my pet peeves is two-strike approach because, to me, that's the most important part of, uh, of, the, of the bat, the two strikes. Because if you don't want to get to two strikes, you're going to swing early in the count and you're going to come, you're going to go, go get out of the zone. Then before you know it, you're one, two, oh, two. Now you're panicking because you don't trust yourself with two strikes. So to be a big league hitter, you have to have a good two strike approach. But today to me, there's no pride in two strike approach. These guys strike out a hundred plus times. It's like no big deal. That's a mind boggling to me. That it is. I guess they, somebody upstairs convinced these guys that, uh, a strikeout is the same as any other out, and I'll never believe that. I'll never believe myself. No, no way. Because I remember when I was here with the Rangers, I didn't want to strike out over a thousand times, which it didn't happen. But we were at eleven hundred, twelve hundred. Now they probably get close to two thousand. So that's a lot of bats that we were saving, putting the ball in play. And they're sacrificing those for trying to trying to hit the ball in the air. Um, I hit the ball in the air hard or something like that, I think is what yeah, they say. And, uh, exactly. But that's uh, to me that like the Yankee motto is hit the ball hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. You swing yeah. strikes, but that's easy to say. Easier said than done. Yeah. You got to have the right approach. Of course you want to hit the ball hard, but who says you can't hit the ball hard with two strikes? And it, no. it's, and now you see guys team strike out 15, 17 times a game sometimes. I saw that in the playoffs. That's that's not that's not accept, unacceptable to me as a hitting coach. Well, that's pretty hard to watch too. I don't know if you watch I know last year you you coached again, but I don't know how much and I know you love the game as much as I do, if not more, but it's hard for me to watch a game with 30 strikeouts and I don't watch it. You don't watch much anymore? Not baseball, no. Because you know how slow it is on TV, it kind of gets boring. That makes me sad. It's just, it's not entertaining. No, no. What do you think about the, the, some of the rule changes with the uh, getting rid of the shift and. No, I think it's a benefit the hitter because if you think about it, uh, when they came to analytics and started placing the shortstop behind, behind second base, Mm -hmm. just think how many base hits got in old school uh, placement. How many hits got through up the middle? Yeah. And all with two strikes. And all those hits were taken away now. So it hurt the little guy a lot. So we're hitting that hole, you know, between first and second, or that stuff is gone. But now, you know, the 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 guys that could really beat the analytics are one of the guys that could handle the bat. You know, if they would have been playing today, then they could have some success because they could beat the shift. No doubt. I wish they would have shifted on me. If they'd have shifted on me, they'd probably shifted like <laughs> a, a dead pole lefty, and I'd have just right, got out right. early and hooked it. Exactly. Just I hit, put the ball the other direction. Get the ball short and get it double. <laughs> or just like uh, a lot of these power hitters or guys, they give them the base hit. You know, they're giving you that base hit if you want. You bunt, bunt. They don't bunt no more. 
I would take advantage of it, get a base hit every time if they gave it to me. Yeah, and I don't understand that. I guess they're are they? Do you think they're just being told not to? And they're like, listen, it's just their pride, their ego, their ego. They don't want to bunt. That's what it is. That's not smart baseball to me. Take what they give you. If they're going to give it to you, you take it. And now they're going to play you in. Now you hit it. Now you hit it by them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Frank Thomas. I, I used to talk to hitters a lot. I remember Frank Thomas. He was a good guy. You know, he had a, he was way off the plate and he dove in because he wanted to hit the ball to right center. And I was going, we were talking about the ball inside. And he told me, he goes, he goes, yeah. He said, uh, with these pitchers, he said, they want to throw me in because I'm off the plate and I cross over. He said, but what I got to do, he says, I'll look for pitches there once in a while and I'll hit it out and I get them right back to my strength. They start going back away. So that's how he played it. Would you want to throw me in? I'll show you that I can hit it out. I can pull it. And then they went back to his strength, trying to go middle away. Yeah, and he could buggy with some stuff. Yeah, I used to the right center. I used to ask Paul Molitor, and I remember him telling me, he says, "I can't hit, I can't hit splits." And he says, "So why look for it?" And you know that makes sense because you you know you if a guy throws a pitch seven percent, another one eight percent, well you just throw it out. Yeah, and then you go to the main pitches that he has. So he said, with two strikes. I wouldn't look for a fork ball, but I knew behind my mind that he had it. So, you know, that's just another guy way of thinking. He's a pretty good hitter. Yeah, I mean, you got to look for what your, your strength is. I, yes. I, mean, I look fastball almost 100% of the time. I mean, if I faced uh, a knuckleball pitcher, I faced Wakefield, Candiotti, Sparks, a few guys. It's like when I watch somebody face a knuckleballer and they go up there and just start swinging away, if they throw a nasty knuckleballer, probably not going to hit it good. No. But what I no. what I see a lot of is two and zero counts from knuckleball pitchers, and then they throw a seventy eight mile an hour BP fastball, and guys take it. I said that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I hit. Yeah. I don't even know. I, mean, I know I hit first time I faced Candiotti, I went three for three because I was looking fastball. Right, like, right, right. It was a nasty knuckleballer, ain't hitting it anyway. Because what happens, uh, I learned this from Oral Hershiser when he played with him with the Dodgers, Candiotti. Mm-hmm. Uh, because remember how w- they were throwing that knuckleball, you, you wanted to let it get deep? Yep. So he said break. That's the worst thing you could do because you weren't going to hit it when it was breaking down. So Oral told me, he said, oh, you should do the opposite. Go get it out in front. Get the knuckleball out in front before it starts breaking. So just like uh, Paul Merrill with uh with uh Rivera Mariano Rivera mm-hmm. uh uh you knew what's coming that cutter and he could you know hey cut it into the left-hander's hands well the left-handers were I remember Rafi said I'm waiting I'm waiting for it to cut too late so it's coming in my hands he said I'm going to catch it out front so he had more success off of it with that approach yeah and and Rivera I faced him like 12 times or something to me he was Easier to hit for righties because everything's yeah. moving away. Yes, and yes. I remember when they were playing against the the Rangers in the playoffs, and he had such a great command. He would throw that sucker right in on your hands every time, and it looks good. And you go to swing, and it's freaking on your hands. Yeah, no doubt. He was good at it because he had such late break. So, yeah, I thought that was good good strategy on Rafi's part. Hey, let me get it out front a little bit instead of let get on my hands. Yeah. So that's smart hitters, though. 
Well, it's a chess game, man. You got to think your way through this stuff. You know, it's uh, a guy like me who wasn't supremely gifted. Um, I just had to, I had to think my way through at bats and I had to take advantage of the things you talked about. If there's a hole over on the right side, that's where I'm trying to hit the ball. And <clears throat> I don't think you see much in today's game, the situational hitting to where, you know. They don't know how to play the game. Kids don't know how to play the game. Uh, I helped coach team like uh, two, three years, uh, th- three years a year ago. And uh, I'd ask these kids, you know, when you're when you're playing a game, uh, don't you don't you have to know the rules? They go, yeah. I said, well, how come baseball? You're playing the game. You don't know the rules. What was so, <laughs> what do you say? Well, no, they're all. I'll just look. When you play those video games, you got to know the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when you why how come you don't know the rules when you play baseball? It's a video game. Yeah. You think so, they're just not teaching kids anymore? They're just throwing them out there every weekend. For- well, I think a lot of it is uh, because the select teams, mm-hmm. I don't think they practice so much. I think they just go to tournaments. So you're missing that time of practice because they play out of town all the time. So I think that's a, that's a factor. And we were lucky uh, coaching this team that we worked, we worked out once or twice a week, and then we played on weekends. So we were trying to teach the game in practice. That way we could, you know, display it in the games. Yeah, and, and as far as the situational hitting thing, I, I remember when I first came up, Toby Hare was a manager. I know you love Toby. Yeah. Um, and, and I knew that if I got, came up with a runner on second and no outs and, and it, you know, early in the game or a tight game, I had one job to do. And if he didn't give me the bunt to move him over, I knew he expected me to at least try and hit something to the right side to get him over. And if I'm I did the game. Yes. And if I didn't and I came back to dugout, I was going to hear about it. But right, now I right. see guys in the big leagues come up second and third, no outs or one out, hit a weak pop-up or strike out, the two worst things you can do in my mind, and go back to dugout and nobody says anything. Exactly. Uh, left-handed hitters, too. Uh, uh, say say left-handed hitter has a man on first, hit a base hit the left. Well, the guy first doesn't go to third. Now you now you got now you got first 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 and second. Next guy pulls the ball, double play you're out of the inning. The pander has to pull the ball. He a, a, a left handed hitter has to learn how to pull the ball. You got to learn how to pull the ball in the air. You got a man on first, you got to pull it. You got a man first and second, you got to pull it. You got a man second and third, you got to pull it. You got first and third, you got to pull it or stay in the gaps. So a left-handed hitter has to learn how to pull the ball. And that's what they used to teach those guys. that a Runner on first, first baseman's holding the guy on, or first yes. and third. You have to get it out there. You have to even hook it if it's away, right? Yes, yes. Not, not flay something to left, and now we have a double play situation. Your exactly. job is to get the friggin' – and this is something I used the other day. I did a hitting uh, clinic in, in uh, Colorado – this past weekend, and I was like, have any of you ever heard of the term, get the head out? Not one of these kids has ever heard of it. No, no, it's crazy. Right? Yeah, like, exactly right. It's like, catch the ball out front. If you're looking fastball, 
and you hit it over the first base dugout, it's because you weren't on time. That yes. is like unforgivable getting beat when you're up in the count looking dead red and you get beat that bad. But if you well, collide, you're going to jam yourself. Huh? If you collide, you'll jam yourself. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll, and, you'll, you'll, you, you, when you, once you collide, you can't hit the ball up because you're coming off the ball. So you're not, you, even if it's 94, you can't hit it. And then if it's a breaking ball, you're going to roll over it. And there you are. Yeah. And I see, uh, and you don't know this guy from social media, Rudy, I'll bring him up again, but he apparently works with Aaron judge and is trying to teach everybody to hit like Aaron judge. Well, there's only one guy, one, one Aaron judge, you know, one guy, six, seven, 280 pounds that can miss hit balls out of the ballpark. Right. Right. You know, I mean, Juan Gonzalez could miss hit balls out of the ballpark. Juan Gonzalez was the most prolific line drive hitter I've ever seen. Me too. Juan never hit high. He always hit like one or two irons. It was it was incredible. Juan Gonzalez to me was the most clutch RBI guy that I've ever seen too. Check his stats. Oh, I know. It's like, like he was he was incredible with men on base. Uh, that's why he's MVP twice. Uh, his I mean his RBI totals were crazy. One. 127, 130, 140. One year, 160. I don't even remember. Let's see. Not maybe 98. He had he had 90. 101, I think Rudy. Had, I think he had 98 RBIs, and we were facing Randy Johnson. Took Randy Johnson twice, and he had 101. It was that the All-Star break? At the All-Star break. I remember that. I remember. Because he was going after Hack Wilson's record, and he ended up with 160 that year. And I remember Juan telling me, he says, me no play no more. Me have my hundred rubies. And I said, bullshit. You're... So I had to, I had to, I had Juan as a 16 year old. So, you know what I mean? He was like one of mine and I knew how to treat him and I knew what he needed. And I, I had to get it out of him every day when it came in, I had to see what kind of mood he was in, but man, what an art. And he ended up with 157. Wow. He, people he could have me, maybe broke Hack, – Hack Wilson holds a record with 190 ribbies. Yeah. I know he and, had a shot. Uh, and people yeah, have asked yeah. me, who's the best RBI guy you've ever played with or seen? I say Juan Gonzalez. Me too. Ain't no doubt about it, man. Well, I remember when I had him in uh, as a 16-year-old, he was second in the league in RBIs. It's something he had. He didn't he, – he had a knack for it. He, it. he just went to a different level when men on base. So so the same way, in a sense, with when he we locked in when 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 he stepped in the, stepped in that box. Well, I I don't know if you know this or not, but people now say that RBIs are not a valuable stat. That it just so happens that you hit in the middle of the order, and because you hit in the middle of the order, you get more RBIs. Well, it's just like uh, the value of hitting three hundred. I value hitting three hundred a lot. Because what it's telling me, if you hit 300, it's telling me you're getting on base. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting on base is huge. And one, th- one thing, too, I always categorize hitters in three. And not so much now because the game has changed, but used to have the table setter. That was that guy that hit one, two. That those guys could manipulate the bat. They had a two-strike approach. Their job was to get on base. And then you have the doubles – double gap the back hitter with home runs. And then you have the home run hitter, strikeout guy kind of with a lot of, lot of RBIs. 
So you got to learn what your job is. You know, if I'm a table setter, why am I trying to hit home runs? My job's to get on base. But, you know, now they flip-flopped it where they put all the best hitters at one, two, and three. And then they put the the guys that used to be table setters, they put them like seven, eight, nine. Well, to me, they still have to do that same job. You hit eight or nine, your job's to get on base. Mm-hmm. Because now you got the big boys coming up for a second and third. Yeah, and I don't understand. I mean, why Aaron Judge and uh, and Kyle Schwarber would be hitting leadoff? Well, because they want him to get more at bats. They're going to get that other bat that you generally wouldn't get in a game. Yeah, but if you hit three hole, that's two more batters. Yeah, but think about it. After you hit first the first time, you might hit third or fourth the second at bat. You know what I mean? You only hit let off that one time. Mm-hmm. Next at bat, heck, you might be the fourth hitter or third hitter. So you're not going to be the first hitter every time. So I guess gaining that one at bat makes a difference to, yeah. to the analytics. Yeah. So I won't keep you much longer. Uh, this has been incredible. I've been wanting to get you on here forever. But do you do you think the game's headed in the right direction, Rudy? I don't know. I think they'll figure it out. I mean um, – They've got smart enough people up there to realize, you know, there's nothing wrong with the analytics. It's just what you do with them. As far as the pitching concerned, I think that's an advantage to them, you know, because they got all the stuff on the hitter weaknesses. And one thing about the analytics, too, that some of the stuff that I do like is like, you know, how they time your first step. Mm -hmm. And then they time, you know, they got all this analytics on when you get off base, they know – if you're getting off eight feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, then you, you should be 12 feet if you're going to steal a base. Uh, also, they know where a hitter going to hit the ball, say left field. They cut a pretty generalized area where the ball is going to be hit, and they place that guy there. Some of that stuff, you know, comes into play. So I think uh, as far as the analytics, the hitter, the hitter uh, has the harder job because the pitcher knows every little thing about the hitter's weakness. And if you if you can throw that spot, well, you're going to be successful. Yeah. Do you so think hitting, that's why hitting is the toughest thing to do? Do you think pitching's better now than it was 20 years ago, or you think guys just throw harder, or you think it's a, the radar guns are juiced? Uh, here's my thinking on here's my thinking on that. When I was in when I was with the with the Houston Astros in say 90, 91, and two, you think Dibble was throwing over 100? Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Myers was throwing 98 left-hander Charlton uh, from Rice he was throwing 98 and then had a one kid named he was a, he was like through the sixth inning Ayala he threw 97 96 97 so but but here here I remember in the 90s uh, uh, middle 90s or somewhere in there I remember baseball came up with they were trying to help the you know get more excitement in the game or whatever so the old the old school gun is a ray gun. Okay. The ray gun clocks the ball when it crosses the plate. So they went to the stalker, and the stalker gets the time gets the speed the the uh, when it leaves your hand. So the big difference. Mm-hmm. It has to be a lot faster when it leaves your hand right. versus when it crosses the plate. So I used to tell the hitters, he ain't throwing 98. He's throwing probably 94 because there's a three, four mile hour difference from leaving your hand or when it gets across his home plate. 
So to me, that was just a mental edge for the pitchers, and I was trying to reverse that because they weren't throwing that hard. Well, now I see – now I watch a game, and it looks like every guy, they, every guy according to the radar gun, is throwing 97 to 100. Yeah, now but just – It's not that easy to square up 100. No, no. But just think about it, Jeff. Look how many breaking balls are being thrown today now. These power hitters, the relievers, they're going to breaking balls. You know why? Because the collision swing. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hit those pitches down and in when you're already because you're smothering it because you're you're jumping at it. You're they're not transferring the weight the, the way they should be. And just like the scissor, hitters do that on the ball away. And the reason they do that, they let the let the weight go to the front side. Well, when the weight's all in the front side, there's nothing to resist you in the back, so it has to slide behind you. But they do that on the ball away because it gives them length of the bat, and that's not the proper way to approach the ball away. The way you do it, you get the head position, and when you pivot, when you pivot, when the heel goes up, that gives you another six, six to eight inches of the bat. That's how you how you hit the ball away. You pivot. When your heel comes up, it gives you the the – Gives you that lineal movement going into the ball. And so, but there's people now teaching the scissor, Rudy. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I they know. Are. I don't understand why. It's like, I know I scissor. Well, because they, they see, yeah, you scissor because the weight got in front. You weren't trying to do it. It just happened. But, but, That's not something you worked on. No, no. Anytime know? I was like out front on my front foot, maybe I was fooled and they give me a little extra reach. I would scissor and not realize I'm doing it. But now there's people actually teaching you to do this on every swing. It's imp- it's it's so that's it's you're not going to be successful. <laughs> I mean, none at all. On, I mean, you on the fastball in. You know. Yeah. What are you going to do? Hit your hands with it? <laughs> I know. You're trying to hit with your wrist. <laughs> yeah. But, anyways, like you said, though, it goes back to confidence, and and confidence comes from from. I'm real, you know, in my later years, I got really big into visualization and because and, and, that's a powerful thing and, and seeing success and seeing those putting yourself in situations over and over. And then when the game comes, well, you already been in those situations in your mind. There's no surprises. And, and the self-talk to me is bottom line. It's how you talk to yourself. Uh, you have to be obviously positive all the time. Uh, giving yourself, man, I can hit, and I seeing yourself hitting pitches. That's what confidence is about. And then you you having a second plan. When you feel that anxiety or, or, or you don't trust, where, where do I go? When I feel that way, I got to call timeout, regroup, and where do I go? Always having that second plan, and no matter what, what you're doing at the plate, it's all about making adjustments from pitch to pitch. Yeah. So you just it's just – I always ask hitters uh, when you go to bed about five minutes, just visualize good things, you know, put good, good stuff in your mind over and over and and muscle memory over and over. Well, I can, I can, David's got a question he wants to uh, ask, but I I can tell you the one, one of the things about you um, was I always remembered you've made me feel confident. And even when I was on the Red Sox, I'd always come, we played the Rangers. I'd come over and right, see right. you guys. And you'd always say, "Man, you're looking good, man. You're getting that foot down." I was like, "Yeah, it's my just confidence is everything." It's reinforcement that you need it. Heck yeah! It, coming from you too. I don't. 
you may not have realized what it meant to me that my old coach right, right, the right. Rangers says this to me, but it meant a lot to me, man. I promise. Uh, thank you. It's just about helping people get better, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you, you got this Dave, game. You this game needs Rudy? it. Yeah, I've got a question. I hate to interrupt the, the player coach. You guys are beautiful talking to each other about hitting and, and your relationship with one another. But I was curious, Rudy, I'm impressed. I mean, you seem like you've always been evolving as a hitting coach and a student and really trying to uncover and discover your hitters rather than impose on them. But who were some of your influences as a hitting coach? Who were the guys that you looked to and learned from that helped develop who you are today? Well, you know, that was the weirdest part. I didn't really have many people that wanted to help me for some reason. Uh, my first year when I was a rookie with the Astros, I wanted to learn. So I was asking coaches because Sundays you go early, you got a day game. And I go, hey, can I can I have like, you know, 15 minutes with you just to let you know what I'm teaching, just trying to learn from them. And uh, I remember Bob Watson, I met with a couple of people. Then I met with, uh, I think it was, yeah, I met with the Giants. I wanted to meet with Bobby Bonds. and kind of threw me for a loop. He told me that, you know, what I was trying to teach wasn't going to work. And uh, it kind of set me back a little bit. And, but Bob Watson told me not to listen to anybody, just do the same things that I was doing. Uh, another guy that I respected, and it was Walt Raniak. And we were going to play, we were going to play exhibition game with him in Colorado. And man, I couldn't wait to go meet Walt Raniak. Maybe I was going to learn something. So I go to him, their BP, I go to him, shook my hand. I told him who it was. He left me standing there. Huh. He didn't even shake my hand. No so, way. So anyway, uh, maybe that just gave me more fire. And I remember I always read the Ted Williams books. That's that's kind of what I grew up around, reading his books. And and so we were playing the Red Sox. And I was in, I was my first year in the minor leagues, and I was coaching – that third, I told somebody to coach third and I took off because, you know, it was a little distance from the minor leagues to the big leagues in with the Red Sox. Oh, yeah. So I went up to the cage and guess who was there? Ted Williams, no. the man I was looking for. And I don't know how I, I got his attention. I told Mr. Williams, I said, man, I read all your books. You know, I'd love to share with you what I feel like. And uh, I think he talked to me about three or four minutes. And then uh, we went back. So I went back again and looked for him. And then this time, uh, he listened to me for about, I don't know, good five, five, seven minutes, which is a long time with Ted Williams. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. He may be bullshitting me or whatever, but he goes, he goes, you're going to be a good hit instructor one day. Man, that was just fire <laughs> confidence that he gave me. Whether he, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? He was right. Co coming from Ted Williams, whether yeah. he's bullshitting me or not, I took it for real. And I ran with it. I, I, I just, never obviously met him, but I mean, from what I've understood and heard from people that have met him like you have, I don't think he had the, the bullshit in him. I think whatever came out of his mouth was the truth to the fault. So that's the greatest compliment you can get. Yeah, because he gave me little time to explain what I was trying to get across as, as a coach. So, But I'll never forget that. Ted Williams uh, telling me that, man, I was, I, was, I was pumped. I bet. Well, a lot of people say now, Rudy, that, you know, they look at Ted Williams, and Ted Williams says you should swing slightly up. So we're going to teach everybody to swing slightly uphill. Well, it happens when you hit it. It doesn't happen before. And that's what they're the teaching. Battle, the battle they're go teaching up by itself. They're teaching It'll go up before. by itself. 
And, you know, a lot of people say, hey, you can't think on top of the ball. You can't think A to B, but you're just tricking your mind. You're not going to really do that. You're thinking to get the right swing out of there. You want that, that you want the right path. And then you, and then when you get in a hitting position, when you hit the ball, then the ball, then your bat barrel starts going up. Yeah. Out front, right? Yes. Out front. Past yes. the middle of the plate. Once you catch it out front, that's when it starts going up naturally. Yeah. Your swing goes up naturally. You don't have to manipulate it. No, I agree. And that, this has been great, Rudy. And I have to tell you, before we started the show, I mentioned to you this one story. I'll try to clean it up a little bit so I, I don't like to cuss a lot on here. But um, I remember it was uh, 1989. I'd played in Gastonia. I won the batting title in Gastonia after Joey Wardlow broke his finger. I know you remember Joey Wardlow, yeah. the second baseman from Florida. Yeah, yeah. And he gave him my chance when he got hurt. And I won the batting title, so I got to go to Instructional League my second year. I didn't I didn't get to go after Butte because I wasn't a prospect. And we're playing. Uh, we had two teams in the league from Japan. Correct. The Harp and the Dragons. And the Dragons were the better of the two. And I remember that – Occasionally, you got mad at us. Maybe we were dogging it or not, not uh, performing right um, before we, you know, instructionally you work out for the game. So this one particular day, you ran us for like forty-five minutes. I'll never forget it because it was like high knees to the fencing back, karaoke to the fencing back, <laughs> not to second base. <laughs> we were we were exhausted, and now we got to go play a game. And you were kind of you're kind of a little red ass this day, and um, every day you yeah, and you walked <laughs> around, and we were all a little bit afraid of you. We we we'd heard stories about Rudy being this tough guy from Oak Cliff, and and you had those light blue eyes and that handshake that you know would almost break our hand, and all of a sudden you go, we hadn't beat these mother efforts in five years, and we're like, oh shit, and then you go. That shit stops today. And then you walked about halfway out to the Dragons who were stretching in center field doing all this crazy high leg stuff. And you screamed at them. You said, hey, F you. We're kicking your effing ass today. And then you kind of bowed up the way you did. And you just, and they kind of looked like, what? And then all of a sudden you walked back to us and we're like, oh shit. We better freaking play today. And not only did we beat them that day for the first time in five years, we also had a brawl. Um, one of our pitchers hit one of their guys, and the guy went to charge the mound, and we had a fight. So after the game, we were in the dugout, and you screamed across the field and said, we kicked your ass in the game and in the brawl, <laughs> we were so <laughs> fired up. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was 34 years ago today. I remember hollering at him, but something maybe I shouldn't have done. But <laughs> I, I don't know. You can't bring it back now. No, we loved you for that. <laughs> and that's the thing about you and, and Perry. I love Perry. But the thing about both of you guys I think that was unique was we honestly – wanted to perform for be, perform for you guys. We wanted to be successful because we knew you cared. 
Yeah, that's that's what a coach wants to hear, man. That you're getting it out of your players, and they want to play for you. You know, that's a great compliment. I appreciate that. And I, I couldn't wait for you guys to come to town. You, you know, as a roving hitting right, instructor, right. you make your rounds around the minor leagues. Right. And whenever it's like, yeah, Rudy's going to be in town. Man, we were fired up. You know, Perry's going to be in town for three or four days. So oh, I was like, great. all right, Perry's going to be there. And and before I let you go, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the coaches. Um, that I was so blessed to to be part of the Rangers organization when I signed Chito Cadahia. Oh yeah, Chino. You know, Oscar, Oscar, and I Oscar. went round and round. Yeah, Oscar, but uh, uh, Rick Knapp, uh, Jeff Knapp. Andrews. I had uh, Bump Wills. I had Orlando Gomez. Orlando. Bobby Jones. Man, those those. Every we player, had some good coaches. We had some good men. I'm telling you, man, every player that I played with on those teams loves those guys to this day. Uh, Tom Greve did a good job putting coaches together with Sandy Johnson. You know, oh, they did, did a really good Sandy job Johnson. in what they were doing. I mean, Sandy they Johnson. trusted us. They trusted us and let us do our job. Yeah, and look at the players you guys developed. A lot of them. A lot of, lot of, lot of uh, big leaguers. I mean, Juan Gonzalez and Sammy Sosa and all those guys on the Gaston team in Gaston. Well, just think, in 86, the 86 rookie team, Dean Palmer was at uh, third. Uh, Juan was in left. Sammy Sosa was in right. And there was a kid. You remember Mark Say? Yep. He was a center fielder who ended up quitting, went and played at San Diego State. And the next thing I know, he's playing in the Super Bowl with the Chargers, S-E-A-Y, <laughs> as a receiver. Yep. So that was that – was, uh, Oh, and I remember uh, our shortstop, that 86 team, was Ray Sanchez. Uh, I remember they brought three kids from Puerto Rico, and they said, pick one of them out and give them $1,000. And I saw Ray, uh, Ray Sanchez's feet and hands. I didn't know he was going to hit, and that's why I took him, and he ended up playing 12 years. Oh, he could pick it. Well, how about Jose oh, Hernandez? God. Look oh, what Jose man. Hernandez turned into. Yes, exactly. You know, so, that team in Gastonia – we had a low A ball team. We had, I think, nine major leaguers on a low A ball team. That's that's unheard of. Jose Hernandez, Chris Colon, Pudge, me. Um, let's see, uh, Rob Maurer, Darren Oliver. It was Heck, you're lucky if you have four or five in your whole minor league system today. They're gonna they make it, you know. And we had and we had other guys on the team that did. Trey McCoy never got past double yeah. A. We would have thought he would have made further than right, double A right, the way he was exactly. in the minor league. We had a lot of talent. They had a lot of good scouting. Old Mama Naya did a really great job of scouting with for the Rangers too. Oh, great job. Great job. Yeah, Omar just signed with the Yankees, so I'm happy for him. Me too, me too. I sent him yeah. a uh, I sent him a text after uh I saw he got that job. But uh well it it has been an absolute pleasure, Rudy, and I, I've uh Oh, 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 I need your, one more, more thing, please. Yes. Uh, there's another hidden instructor coming up. This my nephew, Tony Jaramillo. He's, he's one of the best. And I mentored him for years and years. And uh, he's the, he is the minor league director of hidden for the angels. And uh, the angels made great strides from one, one year and him taking over the job. So uh, he had, he's has three years in the big with the reds as an assistant, but I, uh, I'm looking forward to see him back in the big leagues, whether it's with the Angels or somebody else here before long. 
Well, I'm sure he teaches. If he teaches anything like you did, I'm yes, sure he does. He's really good. He's not a red ass though. He's real calm and <laughs> positive and stuff. Well, did he grow up in Oak Cliff on the street yes. like you did? No, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rudy. Okay, uh, man, I appreciate it, David. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You guys are wonderful. And we'll get Jeff. To, uh, you and we'll I need say, to get together and do a little uh, little hitting uh, clinic one of these days and. You just tell me what to do, and I'll demonstrate it for you and uh, okay. teach some we'll of the kids how to hit, man. No doubt. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Rudy. And uh, okay. I guess we'll sign off, David. Give us give us your sign. Well, thank you so much to uh, Rudy Hadamio. Thank you. One of my, one of my uh, all-time favorite coaches and, and one of the best coaches that I ever had and one of the best in the business. and and an all-around great guy. I love this guy. I'm not afraid to say I love a guy, but I do. And I appreciate him coming on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. This is Jeff. We'll do it Fry. again. This is Jeff Fry signing off for the She Gone podcast. She Gone. <laughs>